There was a video that has come out over the last few weeks of a, a man who's in the Bahamas and he's wearing a football jersey from one of his favorite professional athletes, number 75. Uh, Vince, who plays defense, Vince Wilfork, who plays defense for the New England Patriots. And he's, he's wearing the jersey, and you can kind of see this moment. It's kind of captured from the side, but he, he looks over and he notices a guy, and he kind of stares at him, and then he kind of looks away. And, and then uh, this guy comes over. Well, the guy that's walking over happens to be Vince and his wife, right? Uh, and he's over 300 pounds. They say 350 pounds. So he is a recognizable man at some level. <laughs> And um, the, the way that the video shows is fantastic because she, uh, the wife of the football player goes up to him and says, hey, do you know whose jersey you're wearing? Which, which could come across a little offensive, right? Do you know whose jersey you're wearing? Um, yes. And he says, it's Vince. I don't know if he knew the last name or not, but he says it's Vince's jersey. Can you imagine this guy packed this jersey to go internationally? And Right in front of him is the guy who wears the jersey. Well, the wife says to him, oh, yeah, that's correct. Um, you're wearing my husband's jersey is what she says to him. And then they have this moment where he realizes maybe he's not as big of a fan as he thinks that he is, right? You know, for you and I, as we pause to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we reflect on the precious gift that is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been focusing on this birth. And we've been focusing on, the first week we focused on the fact that the Lord Jesus is 100% man and 100% God and that it really matters to you. Whether you recognize it or not, the fact that you notice that the Lord Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man allows us to prepare our hearts for this Advent season where we celebrate the precious gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope as a church that we do the work of recognizing what it means to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And this morning, we're going to focus in, last week we focused in on his born identity, 100% God and 100% man. This morning, I want to focus in on the supremacy of Christ, the recognition that he is 100% God and he is above all. That word supremacy, we, we use it with supreme pizzas, forget that one, but we use it with the supreme court. And it, and it, it is a word that, that implies authority, it implies exaltation. And in our series next week, we're going to focus in on Sunday morning on the idea that the Lord Jesus Christ is our legacy. You think of a legacy gift and you think of a gift that was given that ultimately has to be received. And we're going to focus in on what it means for us to receive the gift of Christ. And then we're going to end our series on Christmas Eve with a message. You remember what the Lord Jesus said? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If you heard that word, your mind would have been blown. Because what Jesus was doing was he was saying, I'm the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That phrase requires us to respond to it. And that ultimatum requires us to say either he is a liar, either he's a lunatic, that he's crazy, or that he's our Lord. And I want to challenge you to consider joining us on Christmas Eve. We're going to focus in on the implications, what matters about the fact that he's 100% God, 
and 100% man. But this morning, we're going to focus in on the supremacy of Christ. That when he came as perfect man, he also came in his unique birth, in the precious gift of the pre-incarnate God that chose to dwell, to come, to seek, and to save that which was lost, and ultimately one who we anticipate is going to come again. It's a different birth than any birth that's ever happened in the history of the world. And we're reminded of the supremacy by definition of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles and you study the book of Hebrews, you see this theme woven through it that that he is above all others. I love this statement so much so that I underlined it for you. That, That the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority in power and in status, that he is above all. According to his claims and his understanding of the incarnation, that it is ultimately something that we accept could not have happened. This is the definition of a miracle. Could not have happened unless God was intimately involved in it. So we We say that as a church, we don't want to miss hope in the midst of the story, of the the music, of the parties, of the lights. We don't want to miss the recognition of the miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for you to catch the meaning of this message this morning, it's essential that you ask yourself the question, why does this matter to me? What does it mean for me to have a God that chose to come and to dwell amongst us? What does it mean for me to accept that the Lord Jesus made this claim in his life? This one sentence is tremendously radical. When he declared, I and the Father are one, what he said was that I am 100% God and 100% man. This ought to change our perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to, to go back to a moment in history that is described as the road to Emmaus. So in the days after the Lord Jesus Christ had gone to the cross, everybody was trying to figure out, it, it was a, bu- a buzz in Jerusalem. What's going on? What do we do? How do we respond to the fact that Jesus died, that he was crucified, that the cross happened, and then there's these hints of things that were happening where you heard stories of people saying that the, the tomb had been opened, that the, the, only the clothes were left behind, that there were some women who were talking about having seen Christ. And there's these two men who are walking. We're told that they're disciples. One of them is named in the text. And they're walking along and they're talking about what all had happened. And Jesus joins them. And I love this, this, this portrait of somebody who's, who's exposed to truth. They've been exposed to the miracle of the birth of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the, 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 the growing up of Christ, and then ultimately the cross, and yet they're still just not quite getting it. And so we get this discussion that happens on the road to Emmaus, where the Lord Jesus joins them. So where there was two, now there's three, and then they have this conversation. It's fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. I want you to hear the words of verses 25 and 26 and 27 as we see this description of the Lord Jesus. Now, now the guys are going, uh, you, you know, Jesus, haven't you heard? They don't know it's Jesus at this point. They're confused. Uh, they don't recognize him. There's a veil between them and him. 
And, and Jesus is described, or they're describing all that had happened in Jerusalem. How did you miss it? And Jesus responds back to them. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with the Moses, so he takes out God's word, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted them to them and all scripture, the things concerning himself. That he described to them his birth, his resurrection, the, the work that he did to be the son of man who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's showing them this in scripture. And the irony of all ironies is they're going, how did you miss this? Like, how could you miss what happened in Jerusalem? And then the Lord Jesus is there and he's explaining it to them. And then in a few verses later, they're sitting over the meal and ultimately they finally realize that Jesus is right in front of them. I'm afraid when it comes to the Christmas season that Jesus might be right in front of us, but yet it's possible for us to ignore the very miracle that is his superior birth, his superior gift, his promise of hope, and our ability to find tremendous joy in the midst of a season that's pretty busy. So I want to draw your attention to your notes if you have them with you there in your bulletin. But the first point this morning is that, that Christ's birth was superior to all other births. I mentioned the book of Hebrews. It's outlined there beautifully. But his, his birth was accurately predicted in Scripture in, in multiple contexts. In, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this, um, this description is there. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel. In Isaiah 9, 6, these words are recorded. For unto us... A child is born. Now, this was years before the Lord Jesus would enter the scene. That, that he was prophesied that he was going to come, be born of a virgin, and that ultimately, that we're going to see these words that are remembered in song for some of us familiar. But as you read it, you see how amazing the precious gift of the Lord Jesus Christ is. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it mentions that Jesus is going to come from Bethlehem. You know, uh, we're told scholars have, have searched scripture and they have found over 300 different prophecies that were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're told mathematically is that if, if an individual were to fulfill those, the odds of that happening with just eight of those prophecies, one individual uh, fill, living up to those prophecies, we're, set, we're told that this number is staggering. The chance is one with 17 zeros after it. Uh, Google tried to help me with this. I'm not sure if I got it right, but it's 100 quadrillion. That's eight of those miraculous prophecies that the Lord Jesus fulfilled in his life and his death and his resurrection. If we push that further, remember there's a significant number of them. There's 300 of them. If you push that further, and let's say that someone was one in 10, uh, are fulfilling 48 of those prophecies, it would be one in 10 to the 157th power. My mind can't even contain it, right? 
So to fulfill 300 prophecies, the Lord Jesus' miraculous birth was one that was tremendously predicted and fulfilled in every way. We talked last week about the fact that the Lord Jesus was, was not only the, the precious gift of God that was sent, but that he was the pre-incarnate one. We recognize that when the Lord Jesus came, that he was from the beginning. In the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And later in that, that chapter, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the pre-incarnate one. He, he was here before and from the beginning. And we get these fantastic little glimpses in scripture of, of Christ. These theophanies that, that hint towards the fact that the Lord Jesus was going to come. Genesis 22, 11, 15, uh, 22, 15, 32, 24. Judges, we, we could go on and on about these descriptions where we see a glimpse of Christ before the incarnation. You know, it's one of my favorite parts of the story of Christ that helps me to feel a bit better about maybe just missing it a bit is in, um, in John the Baptist's life. He was the one who was born right before the Lord Jesus was born. It was a miraculous birth. It's an amazing story. He's the one who would declare, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world about the Lord Jesus Christ. But ultimately, there's the snapshot of John the Baptist interacting with Jesus, and you almost get the sense that he's like, hey, Jesus, come, come over here. Now, are, are you the one we were supposed to be looking for? Or is there another person that's going to, like, as I read those words, I look at this and I see that even John, he had a front row seat on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the miracles, the story. And yet, for him, he still wrestled with that same thing that some of us are wrestling with in this room. And that is, is he a person who was a good man who came to the earth? Is he God? Is he my God? Is he the son of man to came, that came to not just be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many? John the Baptist had a moment where he wrestled with that. But what's beautiful is that it ultimately ended in his understanding and our understanding of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his birth was superior. His life was tremendously miraculous. I love the, the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in, in the midst of a storm where the disciples are with him. They're, they're afraid. That, now, have you ever really felt like you're going to die? I've had a few of those times. I've shared some of them with you. I'm embarrassed by most of them because I was a, a bit overreacting, right? But I think the disciples really thought that they were going to die. And in the midst of that storm, the Lord Jesus does this miraculous thing where he, he calms the storm and everybody's shocked. Who is this man who he even calms the storms? But then Jesus does something. So he displays his divinity, his authority over creation. And then right after that, he does something that would have been profound for those that were around it. In fact, it was infuriating to some of them because after he does this amazing miracle, he ends up saying that he's going to forgive someone's sins. So not only did he display authority over creation, but now he says, I have the authority to even forgive sins. And as he describes this here, 
the individuals that were surrounding it were shocked by the fact that the Lord Jesus would claim to have the ability to release an individual from their sins. His miracles, the things that could only have been done unless he were, unless God were in it, were plenty. There's story after story in God's word of his divinity being on the forefront for us to find ourselves in awe of what he was going to do. But some people still didn't get it. You know, there's one individual that really got it that is impressive to me. In the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 7, there's a story about a demon. His name was Legion. And Legion was, was interacting with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear the words of Legion. Legion understood that Jesus was the Son of God. He says this, verse 7. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Even the demons understand that the Lord Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. One of my favorite songs has this lyric in it, that death could not hold him. And, and as we think of the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that ultimately he did um, have the, the, the joyful fulfillment of God's word that he resurrected from the dead. The grave could not contain him. He was, was not only did he die, but that he, as 1 Thessalonians 4.14 puts it, he says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. There's a, there's a promise that's associated with that. When we studied the book of Colossians together as a church, there, there's that promise that because of his resurrection, we know that we have the ability to have victory over death because of the hope that comes from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death could not contain him. And the Lord Jesus had victory over death. The fourth point this morning that is extremely encouraging to me is that he is coming again. We're given a simple reminder, maybe a warning. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The return of the king is imminent. He's coming and he will restore. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot in the side of your notes the book of Acts chapter 3, 17 through 21. And I want you to hear these words as we see the resurrection, the restoration power of the Lord Jesus Christ on display in Acts chapter 3, verse 17. It says this, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke about the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The chapter is continued. You know what we know? Is that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's every tongue. That's every individual. 
Now, this is a part of the story that we have to accept, that, that when it comes to realizing that the Lord Jesus came in flesh, 100% God, 100% man, so that it impacts our lives in a way that we can choose to respond to it or attempt to ignore it. What we're told is in the last days that there will ultimately be a judgment. We know the two judgments. The one is the great white throne judgment. That is the one that is for non-believers that will be exposed in their fullness. But for those of us that are a part of the Lord Jesus Christ, that have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that we anticipate the privilege of sitting at the judgment seat of Christ to be able to graduate and for him to declare to us the fact that in Christ, we have been able to bring glory and honor to our King. Guys, I look forward to that day. I long for that day. I long for the fact that, that that's not a new experience for us when it comes to being in the presence of the living God. But in the incarnation, we got this glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the hint of what it would be like to be able to have the word become flesh and dwell among us. And I look forward to that day in awe of what it means to celebrate having a living God. But one of my favorite vacations that we had the privilege of doing as a family was we did a one-way cross-country RV trip. And it's not, you guys, some of you have seen the movie. You're like, I can see Sean doing that. That would be pretty memorable. There were some memorable moments. But one of our favorite pit stops on that road trip was at the Grand Canyon. And uh, I've been to the Grand I've hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon several times. I love that place. If you've ever been there before, it's a pretty amazing experience. But one of the things that I enjoyed doing is we were there overnight and we, we camped there in the park. And so I was able to take a cup of coffee and my little dog, my beagle, and we went and we found this spot while it was still dark before the sun had risen. And we just watched the sunrise there. And now, now if you have seen it, you've seen pictures, it's, it's, it's hard to capture the majesty of that, especially as the colors turn and it goes from stars everywhere to ultimately just the sky overwhelming you as the colors come up. You get that it was pretty meaningful for me, right? But there was also something that happened at that same moment. And that was, there were individuals who, who came up in their car and they kept the engine running because they didn't even stop in a parking spot. And they ran out, took a selfie, and then ran back and jumped in the car, you know? And then another person would come up, ran out, get, took, some of them like stepped on my rock, which kind of hurt my feelings because I felt like it was mine. But, but you know, they were just there. Now, I, I don't know their story. I don't know what their deal was. But what I do know is that there's times in my life when I don't pause and sit in awe of God's creation. And then there's times that I do. In this case, it's not just awe of his creation, but it's awe of the incarnation, right? That there's a recognition that he did this. I love this story um, that Archibald Naismith tells about, about Napoleon Bonaparte, the French military general. Said he was aboard a ship in the Mediterranean one clear starry night. He was on deck and he was walking past a small group of officers who are mocking the idea of a supreme being. God of creation, what a joke, one of the sailors said. Napoleon stopped and he stared at them and then was sweeping his hands across the stars of the sky and he said, gentlemen, you must get rid of those first. You get it? That, that he's in awe 
right? He's saying, how can we ignore the precious gift that is the Lord Jesus Christ? And I, uh, church, we've recognized here that there have been a number of families who've lost loved ones here. We've we're kind of been a season of mourning because we have so many family members that have gone to be with the Lord. So we remember that they graduated to heaven, and we celebrate with them, but we're also recognizing today, especially as we gear up for Christmas, just the loss of those individuals. And um, it was interesting that Jeff brought up our time in the Bahamas. I had the privilege of preaching at a church in Abaco, Bahamas, uh, for three weeks this time last year. You know how kind of last year, wherever you were at a year ago, you kind of think about it when you're going through it. So yes, we've had some moments where we thought about how warm we were, Um, but also... Uh, last year at this time, when I, on Thursday, when I was picked up by the cab driver, he's a good friend of mine, he took me to a gas station, he took me to a grocery store, we stopped by his house, and, um, and then we went on to the parsonage, and except for the parsonage, every other place that we stopped on that day have been destroyed because of Hurricane Dorian. Like, seen pictures, seen the Google Earth pictures. I mean, literally destroyed. There's nothing left of those, those places. And I, I think it's put, my, put me in a, a, a dose of perspective, given me a dose of perspective this year in terms of, of when we lose family members that we love or when we come up to a time like this where we reflect on what we have and if it's been taken away at some level, it just reminds you we can't take tomorrow for granted. And I want to encourage you this morning, church, as we reflect on the fact that the Lord Jesus is 100% man and 100% God, and that it matters to us, that we can miss the miracle in the midst of a season that's designed to honor and celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for you that you would find yourself in awe of God that you would find yourself reflecting on the fact that he's precious, that this gift was meant to change everything about our lives, not just one month of the year, but ultimately to change our lives. And in the reflection questions in your notes, I just want to focus in on the last one. This is a question that's important to you. Does the imminent return of Christ excite you or does it frighten you? I want to challenge you this morning. I think when we reflect on, the Christ, on Christ, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, that he is the source of our living hope, that for, for each one of us, we can find ourselves declaring, come Lord Jesus, come, restore, do it again. Lord, we honor the fact that you loved us enough to seek and to save that which was lost. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your word that promises us that it will not return void. And I thank you for the profound statement of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, I and the Father are one. For some of us in this room, we've heard that truth, but it may not have ever truly permeated our hearts to understand that that's a tremendously personal statement, that you are not only a pathway for hope, but you are the hope of the world. Lord, that you tell us when we face death that we don't have to fear death because of the fact that we have the great comforter that's beside us, that your rod and your staff, they comfort us, that 
that when we mourn, that you tell us that we don't have to mourn like those who are hopeless, but instead that we can mourn recognizing your tremendous provision. So yes, we do want to pray that you would remove the veil from our eyes, that we have been exposed to your truth. Would we respond? We love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that will close out in worship. We ask that you would be and can, would have been and be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.